0: Welcome to the Neurodiverse Love Podcast. I'm Mona Kay, and I was married for 30 years, in that relationship for 32, and we didn't find out we were a neurodiverse couple until our 29th year of marriage. And I've been divorced since 2018, and together we have an amazing adult daughter who's thriving and doing fantastic. And my hope is that the information shared in this podcast will help you understand the strengths. Differences and challenges in your neurodiverse relationship as you move forward in life. Welcome to the Neurodiverse Love Podcast. Welcome back to the Neurodiverse Love Podcast. I'm so excited to be able to have the conversation I'm going to be having today with my guest, Rochelle. And Rochelle is a grief recovery specialist. And I know a lot of the individuals that come to my support groups and the couples that come to my support groups are dealing with so much grief. And sometimes the grief is because they are not in the relationship they thought they would be in when they first got married or got serious or moved in with their partner. And sometimes the grief is around their own autistic ADHD or ADHD or other type of neurodivergence, um, uh, their assessment, their self identification or their diagnosis and understanding that things could have been different. So Rochelle Thank you so much for being on the podcast. I'm really looking forward to our conversation. Oh, Mona,
1: you're wonderful. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you for allowing me to be in your space.
0: Yeah, it's going to be wonderful. And thank you for being in this space. (sighs) I know that you've had your own journey, and Hmm. we all do, that brought you to do this work. So I'm wondering if you could share with the listeners a little bit about your journey and what made you make the decision to become a grief recovery specialist?
1: Ah, perfect. Thank you for asking. Well, uh, backing up a little bit, my background is as an ICU nurse in the Air Force. My husband and I met in high school. And uh, at 19, we got married. We went into the military. They trained me to be a nurse. And part of being in a, in a nursing role, we did a lot of uh I guess seminars are something, the speaking engagements for the military base, um, and that was suicide prevention. So I was also working in suicide prevention, teaching those things, what to look for. We have to go through that training every year. So fast forward many years later, gosh, I actually don't even know how many at this moment, around 2014. So anyway, we I I was a stay-at-home mom at this point. We'd gotten out of the military. We had two children. Mm-hmm. And uh, my I received a phone call one day that my father had died by suicide. He'd shot himself.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And yeah. I was devastated, absolutely devastated. My father did not raise me. Uh, he was in and out of my life, mostly out for the majority of adulthood. Um, but I was still devastated and I was confused by that and I hid it and held on to it for a week,
0: going Mm -hmm. through all the
1: motions, getting kids to and from making the dinners, doing the laundry, doing all of the things. But when no one was around, uh, when everyone was at work and school, I sat in a foggy stare, absolutely Mm -hmm. heartbroken. I had no idea what to do. Um, I was stuck. I was, and I was afraid, I was afraid to be so stuck. Uh, I didn't know. Is this the kind of heaviness and heartache that leads one to suicide? Am I going to kill myself too? Am I hmm. going to leave my kids without a mom? And um, for some reason, in that fog, it's such a strange fog too. I couldn't even remember what I was supposed to do every day. What do I do? What am I supposed to do? And um, I remembered a uh, speaking seminar I had been in the audience of. And I had a pamphlet from that for this grief recovery method. I had no idea what it was, but it sounded neat enough for me to hang on to the the pamphlet. Sure. And I thought, well, I'll get to that one day. I'd like to really know that. And for some reason in in my grief and my heartache, I didn't know it was called grief at the time, but I remembered that pamphlet and called the number on the back with the most scary, shaky voice you can imagine. I said, this is what happened. Can you help me? Mm-hmm. And I immediately received hope in that phone call. I don't know what she said. I have no idea. I just yeah. knew immediately I'm, I'm supposed to teach this one day. So I went through as a personal class first, I went through an eight week group class and it was what I hoped for, but it was really hard. So I took a break, <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. <laughs> took a
1: break for a little bit. And then I went back every week and I just knew this. I have to do this. I have to do this. There are hurting people everywhere. And I was trained a year after that. And I've been going hard at it full time ever since, uh, teaching people this method so they can use the tools in their life as well.
0: Wow. Thank you. Thank you so much for sharing that. I, I can't imagine what that must have felt like to get that call about your father. And I totally understand about the fog. When Mm. you go through the loss of somebody, even if they haven't been in your life much, you know, and then that is part of the grieving, you know, and we don't all know or we're not educated about the process of grieving. And I know Elizabeth Kubler-Ross made famous, you know, the stages of death and dying, but, you know, the grief can come around as I started this podcast with so many changes in our lives and that was a major significant one that, you know, thank God you were able to find the right resource, but a lot of people aren't. And how amazing that you want, wanted to give back after experiencing that pain and grief. So I know, Rochelle, you yourself are in a neurodiverse marriage, Yes. Right? Mm-hmm. and therefore a neurodiverse family because <laughs> yes. you know we're, we're all part of the family if we're married or with a partner um, and so i know one of the things that we talked about was how important it is to understand you know the the differences you have in your relationship with your partner to understand yourself um, but i I also know the model that you're using and you're teaching folks is evidence-based. Yes. And a lot of the things that are being taught for neurodiverse couples to kind of work through their challenges, they aren't evidence-based. Yeah, that's correct. So, I'd, yeah, I'd love if you could share a little bit about why you believe in this model personally.
1: mm. That's It's actually a huge question, but personally, we didn't know we were in a neurodiverse family. Uh, we learned, actually it was through COVID, and we learned through um, one of my children. When the when the kids had to be at home, they weren't at school, uh, we were going through real hardship with one of our children, and I closed my office so I could work solely from home. And it was being at home full-time. Even though I was working, but I was still home, and then my children were both home, and I was able to see what was what was going on. Oh my gosh, I missed something. Mm-hmm. I knew there was something, but I didn't know what it was <laughs> until it was here with me every day. Right, and thank so, you,
0: COVID. Right. Thank
1: oh, you COVID. I mean, in that way, yes. I know it was challenging. It was a mixture. It was grief. I mean, that is the definition yeah. of grief. It's the conflicting feeling. So, um, yeah, I we found out through my son. It took, oh gosh, almost two years Mm. to figure that out. And just shy of diagnosis, he was, he was on the phone and then he retracted his, his willingness to move forward. Um, But she was able to, to sense enough that we're pretty certain that's what we're dealing with is, is um, my son having, uh, working with autism, high functioning autism. So Through that, maybe a year later, it was only last year, after our 25th year of marriage, um, it became absolutely clear and evident, oh, my goodness, my husband has this too. I miss Mm -hmm. it. I just didn't know. At 19, Mm -hmm. when you're married at 19, we don't know (laughs) these things. We We don't know ourselves. We certainly don't know what to look for in another person, really. So, Amen. Yeah, and that's just how it worked. So many years of hardship and things, and I talked with him. And I said, I, this is what I'm thinking, this is what I'm noticing. And it took him a day or two and he thought, I, I, I think you're right. Mm-hmm. And so it's been a year of very intense <laughs> discovery and um, all along because of, because of what we've been through. I mean, l- let me say for a moment, grief is a normal and natural emotional reaction to change in familiar patterns or just loss of any kind, which yeah. would mean losses of trust, safety, acceptance, love, um, happiness. Yeah, I mean, really, grief yeah. is our emotional reaction to life. And uh, over 25 years, of course, I brought in a lot of grief from a childhood that included moving every single year for most of it, um, new friends, new schools, um from sexual abuse that lasted for a couple of years as well. Mm. Um, you know, I brought in my own grief, a parent who wasn't around who eventually died by suicide, you know, and uh, my husband brought in his as well. So we were swimming in nothing is what we thought it would be, Sure. And then we were creating more with our differences in seeing and understanding, processing the world mm-hmm. And then so learning, what was really at the root of that was really helpful. But all along, I've done what I thought was correct. And that's what we do to mm-hmm. cope. We we go into our mind and, well, what do I learn? Well, what have I learned? Well, what can I learn? And we, we just keep reading and studying and asking questions and looking for advice and listening and digging, um, but nothing was working. So this method was essential for one I had no idea what I was doing. Mm-hmm. And for two, I've been really really down at the bottom of the barrel a few times. This ma- this marriage this relationship has been difficult. Um for for some of the things I brought to it, some of the emotions and unresolved grief I brought to it. But also we really are so different. Mm-hmm. People are different anyway. I don't mean to say that. But, mm-hmm. uh, you know, neurotypical neurodivergency, they're, they're different. Right. right. <laughs> they're different. And I found myself truly looking at that dark hole of suicide, my own self, a, a couple of times. And the power of the method, having the tools in my back pocket, being able to apply them in some of these very dark, lonely spots and seeing an immediate relief. Mm. an immediate lift
0: and immediate
1: refocus. I have to apply it so often. That's number one, how I know it works. That's why I have so much trust and confidence with it. And then of course, I get to work with people and see, see it effective in their life as well. It's really me. I'm the one who can feel what I'm feeling the most. Mm -hmm. And it's because of my own life that, uh, I've seen the power of it and I continue to
0: use these tools. Wow. It helps me navigate my life. That's phenomenal. And, you know, my heart goes out to you because, you know, being suicidal or having, you know, suicidal thoughts is something a lot of people, you know, don't feel comfortable talking about, you know, that you get to that point where you're so low. And, and I've been there. And I know a lot of people who join my support groups, both the couples and the individuals talk about that too. And, you know, we need to normalize that we may go down to those, you know, dark dungeons in our minds and our heads and our hearts and our souls, but we also need to normalize I believe that there are resources out there and there are people out there that we can turn to. And I will put the suicide hotline number for the United States in the show notes, but you know, a lot of people don't know that there is someone or some, some resource that can help. And so I know you, you had shared with me that this model gives us grace, compassion, and Curiosity and allows the individual to kind of investigate their own part in both the grief and the healing, which I think is so 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 important. Yeah. Because because we can be motivated to change by something or someone outside of ourselves for a period of time, but sometimes that's not enough. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 That's Go ahead. Very- uh, well, the, that's
1: exactly that's exactly what it's been for me is you know I can I can make requests and, and ask and hope and do, dream and beg whatever it might be. Uh, but if I'm not willing to dig and put all that work into my own self, not much is going to change. If I'm expecting someone else to do all the bending and I don't do self investigation of what I'm bringing to the table as well. So it's definitely both. It's both. Yeah.
0: And so I think um, one of the things that you had shared was that it's important to determine what your truth is. So can you tell us a little bit about how this model helps the person get to that point where they understand what their truth is, you know, how long the, the workshops are or the process is and what what that would involve to kind of understand your truth?
1: Yeah, of course. I think the main thing I need to make very, very clear is to learn the tools, to learn the method. Um, is usually a seven, eight week class, whether it's a group or one-on-one or there's a two and a half day, very intense class um, where we're gonna learn all the tools, we're gonna use them, we're gonna practice using them. But then it's up to the person to continue to use them. And I need to say that so clear as I think people, it's not a magic self-help for the rest of your life. It's a set of tools that are very effective when applied every time you need them. Um, So being in a, a mixed neurotype home Especially, um, but just really any relationship is going to have its troubles. It's going to have mm-hmm. its troubles because of what we create together. It's also going to have its troubles because of what we bring in from our life before being with this person. And uh, it all gets smushed up into a big, a big stew. So yeah. it's essential for us as individuals to find our own parts of the stew. What have we meshed together? For me, um, I brought in loss of trust and safety. I mean, with moving all the time and loss of uh, trust and safety and control of my body through abuse. Well, if I'm already coming in with loss of safety and loss of trust, that's going to be very difficult for um, for. A relationship to really thrive and survive even. Um, And then they've got their things too. So digging into myself with this step-by-step process on repeat, Mm -hmm. I can dig in and find right now in a moment, in a hardship, in a, man, this is not what I thought it was going to be moment. All I can hear or see or feel is my reaction in that moment. Sure. And so I'm going to say and do things out of that emotional buildup. And that may not be where the true Rochelle lies. For example, if husband and I have a, a nice giant size argument, which is definitely possible, um, which I used to be quiet. I used to be just very quiet. I learned through mm-hmm. to have a much louder voice than probably is necessary most <laughs> of the time, you know. I totally understand. <laughs> I grew. That for
0: 32 years. Yeah. Oh, my
1: sakes. It's tough. And then it's tough to undo it, isn't it?
0: Yes. <laughs> it has been for
1: me. So um, we will have this massive bump in the road. And all I can see in that moment is red and fire and heartache. I can't do this anymore. This is too hard. I don't want to do it. It's not safe. It's never going to be safe. Nothing's okay. And then if I make my choices moving forward, out of that type of energy.
0: Well, the marriage is
1: over essentially, right? The family's broken up. Nothing's going to survive or last. So my truth is I'm feeling really hurt, really unloved. And it reminds me of this over here. So when I apply the tools and I get really honest with myself of yes, how this person has left me feeling with their actions. I never say made me feel because They don't make me feel anything, but they definitely can leave me feeling pretty beat up and hammered. So I go look through how is I left feeling? Where did I first notice that? What is that connected to? I do this process. It's very straightforward. It it doesn't seem like it at first. It becomes more fluid in practice. It's definitely very straightforward. Um, And then I can find, okay, actually, Somebody said something to me earlier today, and it's been digging at me all day. And I know I'm reacting in part to this moment right here with my husband, as well as the thing that happened earlier this morning. That's not entirely fair. So I can do all this work, get my emotion out and find what my truth is. My truth is I felt hurt, man. I thought it was going to look like this. It's dealing with my hopes, my expectations. That weren't met the way I thought they would be. And I created those. And then I didn't express them. Mm. So, of course, they're going to be stepped on and hurt. So, yeah. all right. Well, let me let me get real true about that. I didn't see my expectation. Hey, I thought this would be obvious. And it wasn't. Got it. This doesn't feel good for me i I feel unloved by this type of behavior or this type of response or this type of action or non-action this type of non-follow through you know Mm -hmm. and you know how can we go forward with this what do you want to say to that now because he's no divergent now i know i didn't know before that there's a long um there's a long delay often 24 hours maybe three days hmm I didn't know that before. The lack of response, the kind of internal freeze panic run that he has left me feeling unacknowledged, unloved, uncared for, all of the things. So then my next thought is well, he just doesn't care. I must mm-hmm. not be worth it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Well, that's not necessarily the truth. Right. It's right. just this pattern. And I didn't express all of the things. He didn't get to express his because I ran off thinking he doesn't love me.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. So I'm finding both my truth. And then when I have space and healed uh, moments inside of me, then I can give him space to find, acknowledge, and express his truth if he's going to. That's the trouble. I can't make someone do their work. Right. I can only do mine. So it's mostly about me finding my truth, giving myself space and and permission to acknowledge what that is. Yes, I'm hurt. And I did contribute to it a little bit, even if it's 1%. Right. I did still contribute and I've got to get real about that.
0: Wow. I know that's going to resonate for a lot of folks who are listening. Because the way you described it, you know, is like my 32 years with my (laughs) ex-husband and probably a lot of other couples out there, whether they are the autistic partner, ADHD partner, ADHD, or they consider themselves neurotypical. Because it's so hard, Rochelle, for I know it was hard for me to look in the mirror. You know, it was all my my ex-husband's fault during our marriage or not all, but a lot of, you know, the change I felt needed to happen from him and needed to come from him. That was B.S. Mm -hmm. Um, The change needed to start with me. And thank God, you know, for therapists and coaches and books Mm -hmm. and and somatic therapists, they've been amazing for me. But, you know, the grief I felt, um, and it sounds like, you know, you felt didn't seem to ever get resolved. because I didn't have the tools. I didn't have the strategies. I didn't know how to get through that. And so I can tell you that I was repeatedly stuck in grief. Mm. Yeah. And, and I'm, I'm so far from that now, but I see it over and over again in the pain and the hurt that, we feel individually, but that we inflict upon our partners <laughs> and it's in unintentional. Oftentimes, sometimes it's intentional, but oftentimes it's unintentional because we don't understand our own truth. We don't have a clear understanding of our needs and our wants and our preferences in life, in our relationship. And we don't know how to heal our wow. grief. Yeah. Wow. So, so, so powerful. And so moving forward can be so difficult for Mm -hmm. individuals and couples. So are there some things that you want to share that maybe you use on a regular basis to help you move forward and um, get get to a better place when you feel maybe stuck in uh, moments or a moment of grief? Yeah.
1: Yeah, that's so good. I think it's important for us to remember that grief is cumulative and it's cumulatively negative. Mm-hmm. So when we're in a, in a, well, any relationship, but definitely a mixed neurotype relationship, those losses of hope, each one, loss of a dream, loss of an expectation, each one of those is a grief moment. And they build up and they build up and they build up and they build up until we're hitting, like for me, a wall of, I don't want to be here anymore. Usually suicide is not about, I just want to hurt people. Usually suicide is about, I need my pain to end and I don't think it ever will. Right. So I'm looking for a way out. That's right. usually what suicide is about um, for myself. And it's what I encounter with my students as well. Um, so, Before we can just start jumping in to a method, we have to give ourselves permission to learn the method. It's like, you know, I'd love to have beautiful white pearly clean teeth, but I gotta learn how to brush them first. I've gotta learn how to floss them. And then I need to do it on repeat. This is really, you know, um, care for our, our soul, our emotion. We have to learn the method first. And again, that's through either an eight-week class if you're in a group. I run my one-on-ones as an eight-week as well, and then um, or a two-and-a-half-day class, which those are pretty intense, but they're dang amazing too. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes people just get, give it to me. Give it to me quick. I want to know all the things. <laughs> let's do it. You know? So they get to choose that. That's fine. I love that. I'm, I'm very similar to that as well. Um, so we got to learn the, the method. And then once we do, oh boy, we can really use it. The first thing is to get really honest with, hey, time's not going to heal this. It's just going to keep adding up. Mm. You can't tell yourself. We have some some myths and some misinformation, the six most common ones. Being that this method is evidence-based, it's been around for 46, 47 years. It's on every continent except for Antarctica. We mm.
0: know. That's phenomenal.
1: It really is. Yeah. And I had no idea. I'd never heard about it until I really needed it. So and I, I never heard know. about it
0: until I found you. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why this happens,
1: but that's how it is. And so if you think about all the cultures on all these continents and grief recovery is part of it and useful and still able to be evidence based, that's quite phenomenal. So some of the myths and misinformation, those span across the globe. Don't feel bad. Well, we're already feeling bad. We got to stop telling ourselves not to feel bad. It doesn't matter. We go into our head when we say don't feel bad. We go into our telling ourselves, you know, why they didn't mean it, why it's going to be better next time, all of the things. Well, we're feeling bad. So let's just pause. Period. We're feeling bad. It hurts. Right. We've learned to replace the loss. Well, that's a myth. We can't replace the loss with a happy thought. We can't replace this pain with a happiness. We can't replace this pain with a busyness. We can't replace this pain with an activity. Replacing the loss isn't going to help. So true. It isn't, yeah. Grieving alone. Well, I did that for a long time. You know, just hang on to it. Don't say anything bad or negative. You don't want to say something you regret. So I kept my happy face on on the outside and I kept my broken heart hidden on the inside. I grieved alone for a very long time. We've got to recognize that that's not working. We're living dual lives. Um, living a dual life is exhausting for one human to live two lives. We got to somehow merge them. Uh, keeping busy. We can keep busy until the cows come home. I, I think that's just an American standard to be busy. And yet we're not feeling better. So we've got to start to dig in to some of these misinformations that we have. We've got to start there. Um, Be strong. Well, this is not about strength. Mm -mm. This is about heartache. And your real strength is sitting in the heartache. Your real strength is acknowledging what's real. Your real strength is saying, ow, and I don't know what to do about it. Who can Mm. help me? Reaching out for help. Being strong is not a thing. This isn't about exercise and working out. You can be strong with your push-ups, but you can't be strong. This is not about strength. This is about honesty, emotional honesty, and then also realizing that time's not going to help it, you've got to get, you got to get moving. You've got to take action. Um, as time's passing, we might be taking really correct and effective action, but just letting time move by itself is just going to move. And probably, in a mixed neurotype home, we're just going to keep adding to our pile of pain. So we've got to get really clear with the the myths and misinformation that we use, because that's what keeps the lid on our heartache. It's what locks it into our heart and it doesn't go anywhere. And there are very severe consequences for that. Um, for our physical health, um, our body takes a toll. It yes. not just hang on to unresolved emotion indefinitely. It comes out through high blood pressure hives, eczema, ulcers, cancer, heart disease, you name it.
0: Absolutely. Um,
1: Just just Google stress, you know, get rid of the word (laughs) grief and switch it out for the word stress, which means the same thing. And you can very easily find how it affects the body in a very physical way. Uh, And so then when we have those myths and misinformation in our mind, because we're trying to feel better, then we move into these short-term relievers. We call them STURBS, short-term energy relieving behaviors.
0: Mm, Those don't work
1: either. They work For a little while, but they don't work long term. Mm -hmm. Pain stays trapped. For me, I was really good at stirbs. My main one was isolation. Mm. I locked my feelings out of the view of others forever. In fact, when I went to class, my dad shot himself. I go to class, and somebody truly said, Rochelle, what are you going to that class for? You're like the happiest person I've ever known. Wow. I don't know, maybe because my dad died. But I, of course, I didn't say that on the outside. I said that on the inside. On the outside, I said, oh, you know, it's no big deal. It's just, it's good to learn new information. I like to learn new things and it could be helpful, you know. I totally downplayed it and minimized my heartache because that's what I learned. Right. It was my lifelong practice, minimizing my emotion. Um, So then I, I was in stirbs. I isolated, that was my big one. Sturbs meaning short-term energy-related behaviors. Essentially, it's if, if I have a broken arm, the pain's going to be intense. Huh? I probably should get help from a, a specialist, a doctor who sets bones. right? It so it's immobilized and let it heal. I'm a nurse. I always go into the medical thought. Um, but really, if I decided, well, I don't want to go to the doctor. I'm going to leave my bone broken. It's obviously broken. It's deformed, but I'm just going to take Motrin. Well, the pain will break through every four that's, hours, just like yeah. it does, you know, right. that's what a stirrup is. It's basically a Motrin when you need something real, more severe.
0: Yeah. Or it could be alcohol. It could be drugs. Um, it could yes. be food. It could be porn. It could be sex. It could be shopping. And, yes. you know, this work. is going to res- Work. Mm -hmm. um, you know, whatever you name it. I love Sturb. I I, I'll put that in the show notes. Um, and, and I think we all do it. I mean, I always used to say to my ex-husband, you know, that food was my drug of choice. I'm not a a big drinker. I've never smoked. I never done, I've never really done drugs, but I was emotional. I was an emotional eater and, Mm -hmm. um, it helped me deal with the loneliness, the grief, the pain, the whatever I was going through in my marriage and in my life. And, you know, that definitely affects your health because you put on weight and thank God that's something that um, I was able to work through with a therapist, but you know, we all have them and we may not recognize the sturbs because they're, socially acceptable. Right? That's it,
1: Hona. <laughs> that is it. So that's the thing about sturbs. They're not about judgment of any kind. People have all different types of sturbs. They might be drugs, they might be alcohol, they might be um, pornography, um, eating. There might be all kinds of sturbs that maybe society would say, hey, maybe that's not good for you. But then there are these other stirbs that society would say, that's great. Exercise, yoga, meditation, um, working, serving others. That was my other huge one.
0: Serving
1: <laughs> yeah. others, volunteering, <laughs> giving my time. And then the feedback is, you're so great. You're right. so helpful. You're so caring. And so it's this vicious cycle. But all the meanwhile, my heart is staying absolutely shattered on the inside. Right. Uh, so there are stirbs All over the place, whether society agrees with them or not, as as being socially acceptable or not, there are all kinds. Now, I'm not, this isn't about judgment. There's no ounce of grief recovery method that's about judgment. Actually, one of my big ones was prayer, to be honest. Mm -hmm. I thought if I, you know, we might have a hardship, uh, a real smash into the wall moment, and my husband's going to turn over and go to sleep like a baby at night. And I'm going to sit there all night long on my phone. There's got to be a Bible study that's going to help me feel better. And it doesn't happen. So then there's a whole sleepless night where I watch the sunrise and I never did find that magical scripture that completely took away my heartache. No, I was, I have to get in and do a little work too. And if you are, by the way, if any of your listeners are, um, you know, religious or spiritual in any type of way. The grief recovery method is 100% neutral. Uh, there's no religious or anything like that. We we just meet the humans where they are. That was just one of my personal, personal um, stirbs, yeah. essentially, was so I was looking for something else to help me feel better instead of knowing what to really do to feel better. And um, yeah, there are some that are that seem more socially acceptable than others. But it's not about that. It's a fact of where are we going to try to cope? Where are we going to try to feel better? Where are we going to try to help ourselves in this pain so we don't feel it so intensely? And we have some that work really well
0: short term. Sure. And I think that's what's so important for folks to hear that you can keep using those STIRBs over and over again for years. Yes. I did it, you know, food, yeah. you have to eat.
1: So, right, there's nothing know. on with food or sex
0: or, you know, have your glass
1: of wine. Who cares? Yeah. it's still working. Is it working right, I, for the intended purpose of
0: use? <laughs> right. And that's the thing. You can make yourself believe that it is. You can talk yourself into it. But we all know, we're grown adults. We all know that that isn't the the way in which we are going to get healthy emotionally, spiritually, spiritually physically by focusing on the short-term relief and not dealing with the grief underneath that. So my yeah I love that this method teaches people exactly what to do to feel better. But I also really like that you said it's not just like a magic wand. You're gonna go to the seven eight week eight week course. you're gonna do the two and a half day intensive, and then all of a sudden, your body's gonna have a switch that's gonna turn on mm-hmm. every time you're in grief for <laughs> feeling the feelings no, you're going to have to practice this. And so I think it is so beneficial for folks to know that there's an evidence-based model that they can use. And no, you know, this model wasn't created for neurodiverse couples, but knowing that probably a lot of the listeners are going through some kind of grief and may not even be able to identify that it's grief, hearing this episode may be helpful for them to understand yeah I've been grieving for a really long time for whatever the reason is Mm -hmm. Uh, whether it's you know personal it's you understanding that you're neurodivergent and now looking back at your life or the hopes and dreams you had for your family and your marriage or your relationship are not the things that you are achieving with your partner but there are other hopes and dreams that you can have together Um, going through that morning experience morning, M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G and going through this process could be the difference between suffering and thriving.
1: Yes. Yeah, definitely. And I want to say too, Mona that the method is going to work. Where we apply it, mm. and it's not a magic pill for the like you just said for the future because you will have another hardship in the future, you will have another argument, you will have another disagreement, you will have another hope or expectation that isn't met the way you thought it would be, even right. if you don't know what it is today, it's going to happen, right. you know, a week or a month or a year from now. It's going to happen. This isn't the erasure of feelings. And so for people in in mixed neurotype um, marriages, it is difficult. I don't mean to. I hope nobody thinks that I'm minimizing the difficulties at all. You can ask our home, anyone in it. We know the difficulties. Sure. (laughs) They're challenging. What I do want to say is the method is going to work for your emotional buildup where applied today but it has nothing to do with your future you know i i personally like to use the method before i make big decisions mm. um because i've been on the brink of divorce 97 million times <laughs> i can't do it i can't do it i can't do it and then i'll use the method and then my soul naturally says okay i'll wait it's not it's i'm okay Yeah, it's not that severe. So, you know, it's I'm not here to say that it's the magic salve to a saved relationship. No, it's the magic salve, Loosely speaking, not literally magic to your heartache today. But what you choose to do going forward is always going to be individual. I personally like to apply the method today, but it doesn't mean that, you know, you're going to always be married. It doesn't mean that you're always going to to live the life you have today. It still can change going forward. I just apply the tools first to make sure that the choices I make going forward are from neutrality as much as as possible inside of myself versus an explosive,
0: explosive emotional moment. Yeah. I think what you just said is so critical because I remember when I was on the verge of separating from my ex-husband and this was back in 2015, we actually separated in 2016. And I said to myself, if um, nothing changes and everything stays the same, how will I feel? Cause I didn't have all the coping mechanisms and strategies and skills I have today. Mm-hmm. Um, And I said, how would I feel in a year, two years, three years, five years? And I knew that I would not be healthy. Mm -hmm. And I knew that I I, I could keep learning, but I didn't have, I guess, everything that I needed to stay in that marriage at that time or in my marriage at that time. And, Mm -hmm. you know, people have asked me, you know, if you had had different strategies, if you had had different tools, do you think you'd still be married? And I don't think so. You know, Mm -hmm. I really don't because I knew that like I had reached a point where I needed to put myself first Mm -hmm. and that may sound selfish to some folks um, and that's okay but I knew that I did not recognize myself anymore and I think this happens so often when we're in active grief and We just, we can look in the mirror and not even recognize the eyes looking back at us because they're not, there's no joy, there's no happiness, there's depression, all of those things. Mm -hmm. And when you understand that there is a way forward and you, you know, reach out to Rochelle or you reach out to a therapist or coach or somebody else, and you still feel like you don't recognize yourself, things aren't getting any better for you. Mm-hmm. There's always the opportunity to move forward in a different way. Yeah. And I've been divorced almost six years. I have absolutely no regrets. None. Mm-hmm. I have no regrets about all the things that we tried. We went to three therapists um, who knew nothing about neurodiverse relationships, but we did. We tried. Mm-hmm. That
1: could be um, damaging.
0: Yeah. I've experienced there, it. It was. It was very damaging. And I've talked about that on the podcast. You must, must find somebody who understands neurodiverse relationships. But I felt like the reason my separation was almost two and a half years was because I needed to know I had tried everything. And so that's one of the things I love about this model. Is that it gives you tools that you can practice every time there are these challenges and you feel yourself getting to a place of grief and loneliness and desperation. But you have to keep doing the work. Yeah, definitely. And I knew that my ex-husband said to me, I don't want to do the work anymore. I don't, I, I have nothing left. I have no bandwidth. Uh, and, and that's what I think people need to hear when their partner or they feel they don't have the bandwidth anymore. They're not willing to do anymore more for the relationship, but they still want to work on themselves and they still want to do whatever they need to, to process their grief and, and heal and grow and become the best version of themselves then that's important information and data to process. So, Rochelle, I don't know, do you have anything else that you want to share before? I know there are going to be folks that are going to want to reach out to you. I want you to share your contact information, but is there anything else you want to end the podcast with that we haven't already talked about?
1: You know, Mona, I just adore you and I adore the work that you're doing. And as I'm sitting here, I'm just, I guess you said um, some people would have a judgment of, of how you went forward in your life. And that's the thing. Nobody should be judging themselves or other people. We just need to get really real with where we are. And when we really do that, we don't have space left to judge other people. Mm -hmm. We realize, gosh, they're just as human as I am. And this human job is very hard. And we weren't given the tools um, upfront for every experience that we might encounter. We just weren't. Unfortunately, and so that leaves a lot to be learned, a lot to be discovered. And when we have a a learning, curious mind and heart, there's not room for judgment. Um, there's a lot to be to be learned when we really dig in to the hardships of life, and that's going to start with digging into our own. So I'm filled with a lot of love and a lot of compassion for people. Um, there's a lot of pain in this world, a lot of it, and I. I feel like I've known quite a bit of it personally, and then I work in it. So there's that. It's a challenging road. And have a a sip of grace for yourself and say, man, this hurts. And I actually don't know what to do. And there's really no way I could have known what to do. I didn't know this was coming. Have a sip of grace for yourself. Have a sip of grace for your partner as well. They also don't know what they're doing. They also haven't been given tools and skills to navigate every possible situation they might encounter in their lifetime. Um, And it's okay to say, I don't actually know what I'm doing here. It's actually a great leadership skill to say, I don't know, let's figure it out together. What what are we going to do? It's going to start with me. Let me do my side and see what I can figure out. Let's come together and see what we figured out together. And if you don't want to do your part, I respect that. It hurts me tremendously, actually. Um, you, you have freedom to be your own person. Right. And sometimes that's going to be hard and scary and a big change. And guess what? We're going to use our grief recovery method tools right there as well and figure out how to go forward in this, man, I had no idea this was coming moment. Right. It's hard. It's hard. Beautiful. And I, I love you and thank you so much for, for allowing me to be here with you.
0: Oh, thank you. And it has actually been an absolute pleasure for me to get to know you and for us to have these conversations. And I know this is possibly going to be lifesaving for some folks out there who are at their, the end of their rope. Um, you know, I know I was many times in my marriage. And then after we found out we were a neurodiverse couple, I was too. And <sighs> And no matter what, and I want to say this to folks, um, judging yourself or judging your partner, because you said this earlier and I want to second it, is not going to make things better. No, It's just not. But accepting and understanding that you have different ways of experiencing life, different ways of dealing with your emotions, different ways of grieving. And I've seen this over and over again where um sometimes the autistic or neurodivergent partner doesn't know how to express their grief or their emotions. They may have alexithymia. Mm
1: -hmm. And
0: so their partner feels like they're not emotionally connected, or they're not feeling anything. Like you said, I think at the beginning of the podcast, you know, your, your partner, your husband doesn't care, they don't value the relationship. That is probably so far from the truth. Right. Right. So when we understand that we each go through the grieving process and we each feel our emotions differently and we may need a third party to help us understand each other and then to accept that there are going to be differences as we move forward. But to get on that journey for healing each time Mm -hmm. we feel like we want to judge or we feel contempt or you know anger towards our partner which we're going to feel mm-hmm. right you know but yes ma'am figuring out how to get on that healing journey and get to the other side is so important so if folks want to work with you what is the best place for them to contact you
1: yeah thank you uh, i can be found at uh, griefca so griefcalifornia.com griefca.com or even feelbetterca.com um, I, all of my contact information is there, all the ways to um, get into a class or just learn a bit more of them. There are a couple of free resources there to get people started. Um, it's pretty frequent that I won't see someone, pretty common. I won't work with someone until maybe two years after they stumble across hearing of the method. So there's just some information there to get you started. If you are of the more intellectual type and you like to learn about the science-based, the evidence-based background of the method itself, you can head over to griefrecoverymethod.com or grief.org. And there will be a beautiful emblem there that says evidence-based. You can click on that and learn a little bit more of the the background of that side of things. Um, And if your heart's just broken, maybe you start with with my page and send me a note we can either text we get on my calendar we can you know meet face to face i use zoom because i work with people over the world and um, it's up to you how you like to connect but i'm there for it if you'd like a different resource entirely i'll guide you to one i know will be safe so
0: awesome and you're also an instagram right too so what's your oh yes
1: On Instagram, because yes.
0: that's where I found you.
1: <laughs> oh, oh, right. Because I commented, uh, It's was about loss of hope. Yeah. Um, so, Rochelle Jones grief will bring you up everything. But um, and actually, there's a Instagram link on my website as well. But all my social media is GR for grief recovery, GRW Rochelle. So grief recovery with Rochelle is essentially what it is, R-A-C-H-E-L-L-E. But grief recovery, and then Rochelle, you'll find me. There's so many different... I'm out there. I'm noisy. I'm loud. I'm passionate. So
0: (laughs) I love it. I love it. And that's, that's the thing, you know, when we're passionate about healing, we're passionate about doing the work. We're passionate about finding our truth. I think life can get better. And that's for me, what neurodiverse love has been all about because there's too many people struggling. There's too many people suffering. There's too many people experiencing unbelievable amounts of grief, and they just don't know how to heal. And, you know, when we're in those places, we or in those spaces in our head and our heart and our soul, we do unintentionally hurt the people we love and care Mm -hmm. most. So yeah, that's really tough. Yeah, so thank you, Rochelle. This has been such a pleasure. And I know there's going to be a lot of folks that are going to reach out to contact you. And I just um, wish you the best as you continue touching people's lives in such a positive and healing way. Thank Mm -hmm. you so much.